So I've been thinking about the past a lot lately, or specifically memories of the past and how how time tends to alter those memories, right? And I've also been wanting to tell some older stories, some of the colorful stories from my from my younger years on this podcast. The one that uh, always pops into mind first is is the time I ran my car into a ditch uh, on the way to Lollapalooza, and I uh, I actually decided to record this episode uh, telling that story. And I thought briefly I should go back and listen to an old RT podcast or, or episode from like a Let's Play or wherever that I told the story previously to make sure I have it right. And I thought no, no, I'm not going to do that. What I am going to do though is I'm going to tell the story right now to the best of my ability as I remember it at 48 years old. Uh, it's probably been at least 12 to 15 years since I have told this story. So it's probably been about that long since I've thought about it. And so uh, understanding that memory is is elastic and, and often fallible, I wonder how close I'm going to get. So my, my goal here is I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell it to the best of my ability. And then uh, after that, at some point, I will go back and listen to an old episode of whatever, wherever I told it previously, you know, when I was probably 33 or 34 uh, and much closer to the event as it happened and see how, how different the stories are. So here we go. I joined the Army in 1993, in February of 1993. I was still in high school at the time. I was 17 years old, and the way it worked is it was called a deferred enrollment or something. I might be making that up, but I I went up to MEPS, which is where they process you into the military and sign the paperwork, and you pick your MOS and and, uh, that whole thing. I went up on a bus one weekend and joined the Army. And then I came home and went back to school. And then I had, you know, March, April, May. I graduated in June. So I was technically in the military for the last three or four months uh, I was in high school. Then I got out of school in uh, early June. I didn't go into basic training until September. So I had one last summer, which I was really excited about. I had just graduated high school. That in itself is exciting. I'm sure you remember the, the feeling of freedom you had when you graduated high school and the sense of wonder and possibility at what lays in front of you. And I really, I really leaned into it because I knew, I knew that I didn't know, right? You ever heard that phrase? People say, uh, you don't know what you don't know, or you know what you don't know. I knew that I didn't know what, what I was getting into, but I knew that I was getting into something pretty heavy and pretty serious, and it was going to radically alter and change my life. I had, at that point... Uh, well, my, my grandfather was in the Air Force, and so he told me a lot of stories about basic training from the 1950s and <laughs> or 40s, whenever he went through. And it was uh, it was pretty terrifying the way he described it because it was a very different military then. And then I'd seen Full Metal Jacket, right? And which was especially, I guess, important to me because I was joining the military to become a journalist, a photojournalist, and that's what Private Joker was, the main character of of full metal jacket so watching him go through basic training and then go into the military i thought would be similar to my experience except you know full metal jacket is a fucking horror movie in every sense of the word and i was terrified to have an arlie ermy in my face and to get put into situations where 
dudes could beat the shit out of me and I couldn't really defend myself or do anything about it. And to, to lose my freedom and all of, uh, the ability to, to, to make choices in my life. Right. I, as it, as most people who joined the military, I had lived a pretty sheltered, simple life. I'd moved around a bunch, but you know, I was mostly just a, a kid who hung out in his bedroom and read and, and really liked my parents and, and, uh, didn't get up to too much nonsense. And so it was going to be a ra- I knew it was going to be, a ra- I didn't know exactly how, but I knew it was going to be a radical change for me. And so I really wanted to blow out that summer and have as much fun and freedom as I could. It's funny, I can still go back and think about that those that time and how I, I started running every day because I thought that that would help me get ready for basic training, even though I didn't really even know how to run. And uh, I thought if I you know, <laughs> ran a half a mile twice a week, that would, that would put me in some kind of shape. That kind of shit. Uh, I also... Decided that, you know, it would be my last summer to to kind of be a kid and then I would grow up. So I, I remember I went to the comic book shop where I I had, uh, I think, a, a monthly subscription to about 35 comics. I was basically working jobs to pay for comic books at that point in my life. And I canceled it. And the guy was like, man, I, you've been coming in here for years. Why are you canceling? And I was like, I'm growing up. And, I, and I'm too old for comic books now. And I remember, I remember him being kind of miffed at that uh, as he was, you know, a dude probably in his 30s. He seemed incredibly old to me at the time, but he's probably in his 30s, who was making a living selling comic books. Uh, didn't realize how probably insulting that was in the moment, but I was under the idea that I was I was about to become a man. I'd been a kid my whole life. Actually, I had been forced to grow up a lot, and I, I didn't realize that because it was the only life I'd known. And I, I definitely wasn't a kid in, in the same ways that a lot of kids were uh, at that point in my life. But regardless, I... I had this idea that there was going to be a great change and I wanted to to prepare for that, but I also wanted to have some fun. And that fun presented itself to me in the form of Lollapalooza 93. It was the biggest tour in the world to a 17-year-old kid in Alabama. And it was playing in New Orleans, which was about two hours away from me in Mobile, Alabama. And so I um, I immediately bought tickets as soon as they were on sale. I believe I, I probably had to go to a record store to buy them, if memory serves. God, I can't even remember. I think that's how it, how you had to do it back then, though. I think I had to physically drive to, like, Satori Sound in Mobile or somewhere like that and buy tickets. Or I may have even had to go to New Orleans to, like, Mushroom Records and buy tickets. I, I honestly don't remember how I got the tickets, but I remember I got them in advance. And uh, and back in the old days, before the internet, it took some doing. Anyway, that was going to be my big moment. I was I was I just I turned 18 in June, right after I graduated high school. The drinking age in New Orleans was 18, and I was just so fucking excited to go. I had the tickets. I had a car. I had enough money saved up to go. All I needed were people to go with. And none of my closest friends had any interest in going or had the money to go, but mostly didn't have interest in going. I didn't share musical tastes with a lot of my friends in high school. Just one dude named Brian who was awesome in every way and who turned me on to punk rock and who uh, I probably owe a debt of gratitude for the rest of my life uh, to him for that. He also introduced me to D&D, but uh, he was a good dude. Still is a good dude, I assume. He wanted to go and he had some other friends who, you know, there's just, like kids in your school that are... They're not like super popular. They're not like football players or jocks or or whatever, but they're not, they're just 
cool. They just exude cool. And they're cool in the way that like you can tell they don't care if they're cool, which is a very well-crafted thing to do because they absolutely do care if they're cool. It's just they get really good at looking like they don't care if they're cool. Uh, anyway, these kids were the cool kids to me because they wore band T-shirts and Doc Martens and they had like long hair and they just didn't give a fuck about school. They didn't seem to give a fuck about much of anything. They did hard drugs, which <laughs> I've never really done uh, and I didn't want to do then. But I kind of was impressed that they did. It just seemed like a really grown up, brave, scary thing to do. And, you know, when you're dumb and young and you're figuring the world out. Other kids that are doing stuff that you're too scared to do. Uh, looking back on it now, I'd say I was probably too smart to do. But in the moment, you feel like you're too scared to do. Uh, they seem somehow larger than life and cool. Uh, now looking back on it, I just, I feel sad for those kids. I think that they were probably dealing with a lot in their personal lives and their family lives and, and drugs were an outlet to that. Uh, or they were just dudes that wanted to get fucked up. I didn't know them that well. Anyway, they were going and they needed a ride. And so I wasn't cool enough to hang out with those dudes at all. We weren't friends in school. I knew my friend Brian and he knew them and he was like the, I guess the fulcrum that connected us. And so he arranged this deal where we would all go to Lollapalooza together and I would drive because they were too cool to have cars and I had jobs. So I had to have a car and my car would get to New Orleans and back. It was pretty, it was a 1980 Buick Century. Uh, it was a big old boat of a car, kind of sky blue. And it was, uh, oh man, it was the, it was the coolest fucking car I had. It had these long, long vinyl seats that you could just slide all the way across. You could fit like 20 people in this car, I swear. It was like a clown car almost. And uh, so a plan was hatched. We all got together. I got to hang out with them briefly, which to me was a big deal. I was just like, wow, these guys are so cool. And I'm going to go on a vacation. We're going to be best friends. Like, they're going to like me so much throughout the course of this trip that we're all going to hang out all the time. And then we're going to be like buddies. And then I thought, oh, even if that happens, I'm going to the army in like two months. And... Uh, and also, they're not, they don't think that's cool. <laughs> so uh, they were good dudes. Turns out we didn't maintain friendships. I, I don't even remember their names, these two guys. Uh, I just remember that they were who I thought I wanted to be in high school, right? And uh, we, we did have a lovely time together. But a plan was hatched. I drove, we rented one hotel room. There were, it was me, Brian, them. And then I, I feel like there were two more people that they knew that we met up with in New Orleans and they stayed in the hotel. Yeah, there were eight people in the hotel. I don't even remember who these two people were because I didn't really know them uh, and they didn't drive with us. So we we rent this hotel on, on Canal Street, which ended up being its own story. And maybe I'll tack that onto the end of this if it's not going too long. Otherwise, I'll tell this story a little bit later in another episode, maybe. But so eventually Lollapalooza comes around. I don't remember when it was, probably July or August. And I was so excited. Rage Against the Machine was playing. And Fishbone was playing, and I'm pretty sure Jane's Addiction was playing, and pretty sure Free Kitten played, and I want to say maybe the Breeders. I can't remember if it was before the. Anyway, there was a ton of bands at the time that were very they were a very big deal, and I was very excited to see. Mostly, I was excited to see Fishbone. They were at that time probably just about my favorite band, and I was I was looking forward to it all summer. You know, just fucking, it just couldn't couldn't wait to go. And eventually the day came. I picked up my friend Brian 
I picked them up. My mom was scared to let me go. I had never gone to another state on my own. Uh, I think it was, for me, it was a good little primer to get ready to leave and go to the military. And I think maybe for my parents, it, it actually ended up being one as well, because I remember my mom being pretty nervous about letting me go. And I remember being a little scared myself. It seemed like a pretty pretty big grown-up thing to do. But we all piled into my big old blue Buick Century, and we set off down I-10 through Mobile, out, out west, path into Mississippi, then into Louisiana, then to New Orleans. We got hit with a storm. If you grow up on the Gulf Coast, or if you've spent a lot of time in the Gulf Coast, you'll know that these insane storms will come in, which is funny. I live in Austin, Texas now. People talk about the storms in Austin, and they are nothing compared to what we would get in the Gulf. It would be sunny and hot and sticky and humid and 88 degrees, and then and the sun is just blinding you, and then two minutes later, the sky is black, and there's lightning everywhere and thunder that you have to cover your ears for, and it seems like the world is ending, and it dumps about 7,000 gallons of fucking hard, stinging rain right on top of you for 15 minutes, and then it's gone, right? Those storms, you get, we were used to them uh, growing up in the South. And we got hit with one. I want to say we were in Louisiana. As a matter of fact, I want to say it was mile marker 143. I don't know if that's correct, but that's the number that jumps into, jumps into my head. It might be wildly wrong. So this is an ad that helps keep this podcast going. Tis the season of giving. Get the perfect gift for a special someone, yourself, or both. Our friends at Shady Rays have you covered with premium polarized shades and quick swap snow goggles that won't break the bank. Shady Rays is an independent sunglass company that offers an unrivaled product that is just as good as any expensive pair I've ever worn. And that's true. I wear my Shady Rays every time I go for a bike ride or anytime I want to be outside getting exercise, uh, being in the invasive Texas sun that's trying to blind me at all times. Shady Rays has me covered. And the cool thing about them is if you don't love your Shady Rays, you can exchange them for a new pair or return them free within 30 days. There is no risk when you shop. Their team always has your back with personal and fast support. So exclusively for our listeners, Shady Rays is giving out a very merry deal this season. Go to ShadyRays.com and use code ALLRIGHT, that's A-L-R-I-G-H-T, for 50% off two or more pairs of polarized sunglasses. Try for yourself the shades rated five stars by more than 250,000 people. That's ShadyRays.com and use code ALLRIGHT for 50% off two or more pairs of polarized sunglasses. This Thanksgiving season, as you're pounding down potatoes and gravy, I want you to think about everything you've looked at on your phone in the last few days. Every website, every OnlyFans link. Now, who's in charge of the Wi-Fi you've been enjoying all that content on? Is it your dad, your sister-in-law, your grandmother? Well, guess what? That person has access to all the crazy shit you've been looking at, unless you do what I do and use ExpressVPN. It's an app I have on my phone and computer that encrypts all of my online traffic so whatever I do stays private, including any black market thimble or spoon purchases I may make. I recommend ExpressVPN because I don't want people knowing what I'm buying on certain black market spoon and thimble websites. And I've been I've talked about it for years. I've been clear about it. It's my business, not yours. That's why I use ExpressVPN. That's why you should use ExpressVPN as well. Because if you don't have it turned on, you might as well just clink your dinner... 
Because if you don't have it turned on, you might as well just clink your glass at dinner and read your browsing history out loud to your whole family. That's why I've partnered with ExpressVPN to get you a special holiday offer. Go to expressvpn.com slash so all right right now, and you can get three extra months for free. That's expressvpn.com slash s-o-a-l-r-i-g-h-t expressvpn.com slash so all right to learn more. All right. So we get hit with one of these storms, and it's no big deal. I've driven in the rain. I've, I grew up, I learned how to drive in these storms. So I'm just, li- we're just listening to music. I think we're like listening to the Red Hot Chili Peppers, probably Mother's Milk, and uh, or the Uplift MoFo Party Plan. And we're just like singing along and getting to know each other and having fun and laughing. And it just starts shitting rain on us, just dumping it on top of us. And I'm not thinking too much of it because... I feel like I'm good at driving in the rain because at this point I've been driving for over a year. I feel like I'm an expert. Uh, however, I'm driving on bald tires in a big swimmy boat of a car. And looking back on it now, I was not a good driver. So the rain hits and I'm not, and we're, we're making the most of it. We're laughing and joking about it and, uh, and just, just going through it. Windshield wipers are going insane. I have to slow down a little bit. I'm trying to match the cars around me. I'm a little freaked out maybe, but you know, everybody else is still driving like 60 miles an hour. And so I'm just trying to maintain, you know, pace with the flow of traffic. And then the lightning and the thunder starts and it's on top of us and it is intense. And I, uh, I think everybody is like kind of nervously laughing at that point and singing along and, uh, every, you know, a bunch of 17 year old kids trying to pretend like a scary thing isn't bothering them. So we just keep barreling down the road. Lightning strikes, I want to say 30 feet from me. Like it, the ground shakes. It's an incredible flash of light to my left. I scream. And then the next thing I know, I'm hydroplaning. I think I must have instinctively turned away from the lightning or whatever, but I start hydroplaning, and this road is incredibly wet. And I don't know what it's like in your town, but in the south, we have these huge ditches off the interstate and off the main highways because we get these floods constantly. We get tons of water that comes in really quickly. And so I, uh, I'm now hydroplaning, probably going about 60 miles an hour on I-10, and then there's mile marker 143, which I—132? 130. I wonder if I mentioned the mile marker in in previous stories. I'd be interested to know how close I am to it. Somewhere between mile marker 143 and 132, I think, I go off the road and there's nothing I can do about it. And we just go barreling off the right side of the road into one of those ditches. And then I just ride the ditch for a little bit until I can stop the car. It's already kind of wet and grassy. These ditches are, I want to say, six or seven feet deep. They're really deep and big and they're just covered in grass, right? And so we go nose down into it. Then I'm able to, I'm able to turn the car a little bit so that the nose is pointing back up as I'm trying to get out. But there's no way I can get the car out of there. It's the tires are caught in some mud or whatever, and it's it's stuck, right? And all my friends and I are just like, "Holy shit, what just happened?" And everybody's like, "Are you okay? Are you okay? Are you okay?" Yeah, everybody's okay. We're just sitting there, and I I've never been in a car accident before. I've never run off the road before, you know, and it's still pouring down rain. Everybody's cool. We all realize we're all right. Sit there for a second and collect our thoughts. And I think, okay, uh, I got to spring into action. What do I do? I'm a a responsible guy now. What do I do? Uh, I'll get out and I'll hitchhike to the nearest gas station 
And at a gas station, there'll be a tow truck, and I'm going to hire a tow truck guy to come pull the car out, and then we'll get back on the road, because nothing is going to stop me from going to Lollapalooza and having this big blowout weekend where I see tons of cool bands and get drunk with these cool kids and then get to feel like a grown-up, and, and then that'll be, that'll be enough for me. I'll feel like I've put my childhood behind, and then I'll be ready to join the Army, right? So I do that. I get out of the car, and I'm just getting rain dumped on me, and I I, I remember like having to climb up the the ditch on my hands and knees because it's slippery and, and tall grass. And I get up to the I get up to the top and I just start sticking my thumb out, you know, like a Muma Thurman and even cowgirls get the blues. And uh, and not almost immediately somebody pulls over and is like, hey, can I help you? And they can see there's a car in the ditch full of teenagers and and I'm just standing there like an idiot. And so he's like, hey, let me give you a, let me give you a ride over. Uh, up to the next exit. I think there's a gas station there. And so I say, thank you very much. It's only about a two mile ride. We go up to this exit. He, we pull off into a gas station. It's like a service station. He lets me out. I walk inside and uh, I go, hey, I, uh, I just wrecked my car. I need somebody to pull me out of a ditch. I need a tow truck. Can I get a tow truck? And the guy, the guy behind the counter is this big old dude with a beard. I say big old, old dude. He's probably in his early 30s. And uh, he goes, uh, no, nah, man, I can't help you. And I'm, I'm like looking out the window at a tow truck. And I go, hey, man, there's a tow truck right there. I, I need a tow. I, I can, you have to help me. And he goes, I don't go out in the rain. I don't go out when it's lightning. And I go, well, my car is stuck in a ditch and all my friends are stranded there and we're supposed to be somewhere. And I, I, well, you're the only person that can help me. What else do I do? And the guy just looks at me for a while just with these fucking dagger eyes. And he's a really scary looking, I mean, he's a dude who drives a tow truck, right? He's got a big old burly beard and he's, uh, he's got about a hundred pounds on me and, uh, just a, a, a tough looking son of a bitch. And he just gives me these like dagger eyes, sees right through me. And I'm, you know, I'm a 129 pound, six foot tall dork uh, who's scared of everything. And, uh, I'm trying to figure out if, if I've offended him because he looks like he's going to fucking kill me, right? And after a few seconds, he just goes, Whew. all right, man, show me where it is. And I'm like, thank God. So I follow him out into his tow truck. I hop in the passenger side. He hits in the front. I tell him the mile marker. We go, as we're driving back to it, it's, like I said, it's about a two-mile drive, and uh, we're, we're like pulling out. And uh, I go, uh, you don't like to, I was like, you don't like to go out in the, in the bad weather, huh? And he goes, uh, I don't like lightning. And I go, oh, uh, oh, why not? And he goes, uh, my, uh, my brother got struck by lightning once and, uh, hurt him real bad. And I'm like, Jesus Christ, I don't know how to respond. So I, uh, I tried to make a joke of it. I said, uh, well, you know what they say? Lightning doesn't strike twice in the same place, you know? Without skipping a beat, he goes, yeah, and then my sister's kid got struck by lightning at the beach, and then it was just silence. I didn't know how to respond to that. I didn't know if the kid was okay. He didn't elaborate, and it just became a very, very heavy, thick silence with the rain and the thunder and the lightning going, and as we're going down the road, we get close to the mile marker, and I don't see my car but I see all of my friends standing on across the on the other side of the interstate holding all of their stuff and my stuff. Just like it's just getting rained on. Right. It's just getting shit. Just rain dumped on them. And they're all holding like backpacks and, and whatnot. And then I see <laughs> he goes, where's the car? And I go, well, there's there's my friends. 
So the car, that's where the car was. And uh, so we turn around and we pull up to them and I see them and they're where the car was. And then I see that the car is down the road a little bit. It has, I guess, been picked up by the water and moved not far, like maybe, I don't know, 10 or 15, 20, 30 feet, something like that. And I, I can't see most of it. I can see some of the top of it and I can see the hood. And I can see on my antenna, I had a one of the jack-in-the-box antenna balls, and I had one of those on, and I can see that. And the rest of the ditch is a river. I guess the rain came in, and it came in fast, and it flooded that ditch. It flooded my car, picked my car up, and moved it down the road a little bit. And my friends are all standing there with all of our stuff. They were able to get all the stuff out of the car before it took off and before it started to get too deep. And they're just shell-shocked. They can barely talk. They're like, it just, it got real bad. The water started rising really quickly. And uh, we just grabbed everything we got out. And then it took the car. And we didn't know what to do. So we just thought we'd stand here because this is where you left us. And uh, and I'm like, it, it's going to be okay, you know. Don't worry. I got this guy to help us, you know. It'll, we're going to be fine. We all walk over to where the car is. And... The guy's looking at it, and I'm seeing, you know, 25% of my car is above water. The entire, the trunk, the back seat, it's all submerged completely. And uh, the guy goes, I don't think I can get this out. And I go, but you have to. You're a tow truck driver. This is what you do. Because in my simple head, my simple 17-year-old mind, there are, like, there are people that do things, and they're able to do to do that thing under any circumstance, right? Like, there's no, like, too hard or too dangerous. It's just like, you're a tow truck driver. You tow cars out of bad situations, right? And he looks at me again, and he goes, he just starts grumbling to himself. He's like, I don't know what he's saying. I don't want to know what he's saying. The guy scares the shit out of me. Uh, I back up, and I go tell my friends. I'm like, uh, I'm trying to explain the under hushed tones, like the uh, lightning doesn't strike twice uh, faux pas. And why this guy seems so fucking angry. And it's still just dumping rain down on us, by the way. And the the ditch is getting fuller. And so the guy drives up a little bit. He backs his tow truck up to kind of like the edge of the ditch. And he gets out. And then he gives me just like the most hateful look. And he grabs some uh, some chains off the back of the tow truck. And then he wades into the ditch to where he's, I shit you not, uh, above his navel, right? He's above his belly button in water. And he's like, goes under and he, he hooks something under the front of my car and then he wades back out and he gets in his car and he drives up a little bit and then he cranks it and then he just pulls my car out pretty as you please looked like the easiest thing in the world my car just like just goes and comes right back up and he pulls up uh you know he's got to go down the road a little bit to get it all straightened out and where the car is safe and my friends and i all start walking over toward it he gets out of <laughs> He gets out of the tow truck, he walks over to the back of the car, and he starts undoing the chains that are connected that are connected to my car. And as he does that, lightning strikes very close. I didn't see where it struck. I only heard it. We all jump and scream because it's so loud. He screams, and then he's on the ground clutching his arm and his chest and rolling around. And I'm like, holy shit, what happened? I guess the lightning struck so close to where we were 
and he was holding onto those big metal chains that he caught a spark and it knocked him flat on his ass. And he lays there for a moment and groans. And I think, oh my God, am I going to have to drive the tow truck back to the exit to get to call an ambulance? Like, what the fuck am I going to do? Is this guy dead? And then he just kind of like goes to his knees and he gets up and he just, he doesn't say a word. He just looks at us and he goes and he gets in to the, the tow truck. And then we all just, pile into the tow truck as well and it's just dead utter silence we drive the mile and a half to the exit we pull up to his gas station he pulls around to the right he drops my car we all go to my car we open up all the doors and just gallons of brown water rush out of the car kind of like kind of like in risky business when they would do much the same thing with the porsche and uh And I'm just befuddled. Like, I now have a car that has been completely submerged, including the engine, underwater. And I don't know if it's going to run again. I don't know what to do. I walk inside, and the guy's standing there, and I go, "Uh, thank you so much. He just looks at me, and I go, "Uh, I I, I need to pay you. And I open up my wallet, and I had about, I think I want to say I had about 250 bucks saved up for the whole weekend. Because I already had my ticket, right? So I just needed money for food, and I think to help pay the hotel. And uh, and I just open up my wallet in front of him, and I go, how much do I owe you? And he looks at me, and he looks at my wallet, and he looks at me, and he just reaches his hand out, and he takes all of the money out of my wallet and just kind of crumples it in his hand and stuffs it in his pocket and looks at me. And then I just walked away. I didn't know what else to do. I walk outside, and all of my friends are standing around my car as it drains, and... Uh, we sit there for, I don't know, a half hour or so. And then I start my car up and it works. And so we get into a soggy car and then we drove to Lollapalooza. We did the, I had to stop at a Western Union in New Orleans to get my grandfather to wire me money, which was the most confusing and complicated thing I had ever done at that point and very stressful. Um, I felt like a complete asshole having to ask for 200 bucks for my grandfather. Well, we do that and then we go to the hotel. I pull into the parking lot at the hotel. I just can't believe that my car still runs. We're all completely soaked from head to toe. All of our clothes are soaked. Everything is wet. Our bags are wet. And uh, I did one of the dumber things I've ever done. I parked on the top of the parking garage in the sun because I think it'll dry the car out. But I leave all the windows rolled up because I don't want anybody to break into the car. And then I walk away from my car for two days. We go and we check in and we, uh, I think we go to a laundromat and clean our clothes. And then we proceed to have an amazing weekend that was everything I wanted it to be. There was even a point uh, (laughs) in that hotel room where I think it was the next day. We all go out and we get pretty drunk that night and have a ton of fun on Bourbon Street, running around, being little assholes. And... We're staying at a hotel. I remember it was like on the 18th floor and it was on Canal Street. And I wake up the next morning completely hungover. People were all just like sleeping on the ground because there's eight people in a room with one bed, you know. And I'm stepping over people and I go to the bathroom and everybody is totally out still. It's like maybe seven or eight in the morning. And I walk over to the window and I stick my head on the window and I look out 
Because I'm just like I'm hungover and headachy and nauseous. And I'm just like, I, pr- I remember appreciating how cool the window felt to my forehead. So I was just leaning my forehead on the window to appreciate the cool. And and just watching this scene unfold, they this circus truck with a trailer on the back of it pulls up on Canal Street and it stops. And then some dudes come around the back and they they open up the this trailer and then they lead an elephant out like right out onto the street and i guess they brought an elephant out to promote that the circus is in town well anyway i'm watching this and i just start saying to the guys behind me i go hey there's an elephant there's an elephant on the street and nobody hears me they all sleep that they ignore me i think maybe one person was like shut up and uh, and i'm like uh, it's real weird there's an elephant here and suddenly the elephant they're like they're like backing it off this ramp and then before it even gets all the way down the ramp i remember kids and families just start to swarm it like i guess they see an elephant on the street and the first thing they think to do is just run at it right and i think that freaked the elephant out i don't think the elephant appreciated that because the elephant starts fidgeting and moving around and the handlers look visibly nervous. And so they're like trying to tell the people to back away. Then the elephant does one of the craziest things I've ever seen. It swings around and it projectile vomits. Pink sludge. It looked like the elephant had eaten 500 watermelons right before. And it just starts spraying pink vomit all over the people, the ground, and it's hitting the families and the kids and the circus employees, and it's just spewing this pink vomit everywhere. Kids start screaming, parents start screaming, everybody starts running, the elephant starts like rearing up, the circus performers just start shoving the elephant and like trying to control it and pushing it and pushing it and pushing it back into that uh, into that trailer and then and they're like struggling and fighting with it and you can tell they are scared to death anyway after a couple seconds they get the elephant like back in that thing they slam the top shut and they got the fuck out of there and the whole time i'm just going guys the elephant's throwing up it's throwing up on the kid guys the kids are covered in puke and everybody's just like shut up dude and nobody got up and nobody saw it and nobody believed me the rest of the trip and i swear to god I'm going to find somebody who was on Canal Street in the summer of 1993 and they saw the circus truck pull up and they saw the elephant get out and they saw the elephant throw up on 40 people. It happened and I want to find somebody who lived through it. So if that's you or you know somebody who's ever been thrown up on an elephant, please email eric at jeffsboss.com. I would love to connect with you. The rest of the weekend was pretty uneventful, uh, just fun, just a really good time. There was no more vomit or... There was no more elephant vomit, I should say. And when it was all said and done, we checked out the hotel on Sunday morning. Oh, Lollapalooza was awesome, by the way. It was a fantastic show. Uh, I think I think I had the time of my life. I barely remember any of it, so it must have been great. We go to the top of the parking garage, <laughs> and my car, <laughs> you just can't see inside of it because it's so fucking fogged up with condensation because I left the windows rolled up and it's summer in New Orleans and it's already, it's like 88 degrees and like 75% humidity. And, uh, and we open the doors and we are hit with the most intense smell of mildew. I can't even describe to you what that was like, but we roll all the windows down and then we had a very hungover, very quiet, very grossed out ride home. Uh, I dropped all those guys off, and I 
don't think I ever really talked to him again after that. It was a wonderful trip. It was a terrible trip. Turned into a lot of great stories for me and a lot of great memories. But uh, yeah, it didn't result in us all being best friends or anything. Then (laughs) I remember the next day I got up bright and early and I went outside and I took that car apart. I took every single thing. I took the car, I took the seats out. I took the carpet out. I took the dashboard out, and I cleaned it all. And I put it back together. And that fucking car ran until I joined the army, and it didn't smell at all. And then I sold it for parts. Anyway, that's how I spent my last summer before going into basic training and uh, and joining the military. 